Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, November 7th, 2019. Today we're reading from the Big Book, Chapter 5, and we're on page 66, the fourth paragraph, This Was Our Course. Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Naomi B., for the 12 Traditions, Nancy T., and reading the text are Leon B. and Kelly S. The reference numbers for Wednesday, November 6, 2019 are the 7 a.m. 13621, that's 13,621, and for the 10 a.m. are 13,623, that's 13623. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Naomi B. to please read the 12 steps. Hi, Katie. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Great. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Good morning. Good morning, family. This is Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. The 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food that our lives have become unmanageable, too. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do service, and I pass. Thank you, Naomi. Okay, I will now ask Nancy T. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Nancy T., Recovered Compulsive Reader in Lewiston, Idaho. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 
Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 66, the fourth paragraph. This was our course. I will ask Leon B. to begin reading. Good morning. This is Leon B., gratefully recovered from Simpsonville, South Carolina. This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were, were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, how can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. That will be done. You know, for over for over 30 years, I carried some deep resentment um, against my mom. You know, why she spanked me so much, well, let me say it right, why she whooped me <laughs> for trivial things. You know, she yelled at my sisters and my brother. She was always on the phone with her friends, you know, instead of caring for us. My sister, till this day, she always complains that she stayed on the phone more times than she ever sat down to talk to to, to us. You know, she yelled at my dad, you know, who was a raging alcoholic all the time, just created a really toxic home environment, you know, 
you know, all of this affected, now I understand, affected my self-esteem, my security, my, my financial security. You know, we had no financial security. You know, but when I once considered this statement, you know, the people who wronged us was perhaps spiritually sick. They, like ourselves, were sick too. I know how sick I was. I know what I was doing to myself. I know how internally I felt. But how was how was Mama sick? I would ask. I asked myself. You know, she, my, my mother never drank. She didn't do drugs. I never seen. I never seen her eat the way that I that I ate. You know. And then it came to me more and more. You know, as I read these chapters and as I read this book and chapter to the wives and the chapter to the family, the stories in the back of the book. And it sort of hit me. She was married to an alcoholic. You know, I remember her telling telling her friends, I would hear her on the phone, um, I, I got to go. We need to be getting ready to, to go in again. He got to go in and dry out. You know, she was she would be referring to the times my dad would go into rehab. And I, she would always take me along. I never understood why I had to go. I, I was a baby, but I would always have to witness this. You know, and I remember her making me go to these Al-Anon meetings. You know, and I asked myself, you know, as I went through this work, you know, what was it like for her, you know, to be to be married to this, you know, to, to try to raise four kids? I mean, these stories in the back of the book could have classically been my dad. How, and, and she had to do that and raise four kids by herself with leftover money after my dad drank it all up, you know, dealing with this husband that stayed inebriated. One of my, if you would talk to me, I would often tell people my dad drank every day of my life until I turned 18. And that was the truth. But I never once considered that he drank more days than that during their marriage. She never got the man that she thought she was going to have. And it was when I could see that other people were hurting too. This has helped me, along with this work, to see my mama differently. And to have tolerance as to why she's always in this fight mode, you know. But it tells me to cheerfully grant her patience now. And I do cheerfully grant her patience. You know, she was just arguing and upset with Apple because of the update method in her phone. You know what? Time I bought her new phone. And this, and, and I say to myself, that will be done. That will be done. I try to remember this. And this has freed me and it's opened my heart. And it's allowed me to love my mother the way she should be loved. Thank you, Leon. Okay, so we're on the bottom of page 66. This was our course. If you haven't shared in the last few days, please give me your first name and last initial. Tina S. Lavender. Lisa S. Lisa, I'm sorry. Okay, I got Kim G. I got Tina S. I got a Lisa and a Ren, I think, but... Um, Hudson Lisa, Rush, what was your initial? W. Okay, Hudson L. Sharon L. Beth yeah. W. And what was that, Sharon? Sharon F. Sharon F. Is in Frank or S. Is in Sam? Frank. Okay. Okay, so I have Tina S. Lisa, I believe, maybe B. Um, Kim G. I thought I heard Ren. Hudson L, Hudson Lavender, I don't know if that's your whole name, Beth W, Sharon F. So if there's any clarification needing, please now, tell me now, otherwise please mute, and we'll hear from Tina S. 
Tina Star One. Can you hear me now? Yes, there you are. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, thanks, Katie. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Wow, what a great paragraph and what a great share. Such a great example, you know, to really um, put the words to life in this paragraph. You know, uh, when I first came to the rooms, I, you know, I read this book and I didn't have a clue what it meant because I didn't look at it as a text, you know, for direction, information specifically outlined. And, and when I started doing that, it really changed my life, you know, because it tells me this is our course. This is what I'm doing here, you know. And, and that I, to, to realize, to really look at the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. And then it says, you know, like us, you know, for a long time, I just said they're sick, you know. And, um, and then I started to look at it where it says they're sick like us. And then we ask God to help us show them the same toler- tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Because you know, on my own, I can't do this. Let me just tell you, because if I'm blaming you and pointing a finger at you, there's no way I'm going to be able to get to a place of tolerance, pity, and patience and to treat you like a sick friend. And, and what I love about this is this comes before column four. You know, so I do this. And I remember the first time I actually put this to practice in my, in my columns, in my fourth step, you know, after I did one, two, and three. And then I did the, the sick man's prayer for everybody on my list. And it changed my life. You know, I, I, there's, sometimes when I say that, I think that's so dramatic because it is. It changed my life when I was able to look at you in a different light because perhaps you were sick like me. Perhaps I did some of the same stuff that you did. You know, and so when I could relate to that, I could have a little bit of tolerance, pity, and patience towards you. you know, and then it, and it says, you know, that how can I be helpful? God saved me from being angry. And if the only way I can be helpful is just to, to leave you the hell alone, sorry for the curse words, then, then that's being helpful. You know, so today, this stuff has really changed my life, and I'm so grateful to be on the line to hear that we do this over and over. It's not a one and done. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina. And I have next Lisa, followed by Kim G. Um, I did not speak up. No, I did not speak up. It might have been another. Okay, I thought I heard it. I thought I heard Lisa. Okay, go ahead, please, Kim G, followed by Ren. Good morning, Katie. Sorry, so just a little rush there. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, and God saved me from being angry. I mean, this has changed my life. You know, um, this is what I've seen after step 12, is that my peace doesn't come from other people changing, but my reaction to other people. And that's why God saved me from being angry is so powerful. There's this, I heard this in a spiritual um, meeting one time, and this guy was talking about the fact that he only could have a good day if it was sunny out. And he worked really, really hard. And now he can have a good day when it's raining. And what the instructor said is, you'll know you have transcended, in our language, recovered, when the weather is irrelevant. And that's what these steps do. It makes that my peace of mind is irrelevant to how other people are acting. There's this other spiritual concept called the jail and the jailer. So this is person in jail, and that's what we've talked about in these first three columns. Who is guilty, what they did, how it affected me, and what I learned from the page before, before this prayer, is that 
I'm going to continue to suffer. You know, that I'm going to be in deep resentment. It's going to be futile. It's going to be grave. It's going to be, you know, I'm going to die. There's going to be poison in there. So, but what happens is the jailer is as attached to the jail as the person who's in jail. If I want to stay in there, my attachment is just as good. You know, often I think we get caught up in the idea we have to forgive people. And I think part of that is that we think of forgiveness as condoning behavior. And that's not what that we're talking about in the 12-step program. What I'm saying is I'm not willing to be the jailer anymore. I'm not willing to stand up on that jail and be attached to the jail because of what I think you did to me. And I have to tell you, working these steps, sometimes I find out the jail is empty because no one even is being suffering but me. There's this beautiful saying as well that says pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And that's what these steps do for me. You know, my mistake, I have to tell you, was I left these four-step prayers in the fourth step. But and as, as I did this program, I started to realize that God saved me from being angry is a prayer I used throughout the day. Why is that? Because it's poison. And the fact is, I am not a normal person. My brain is wired differently. And that is why I identify myself as recovered, not cured. Because this thinking in my mind is the way that I'm wired. But by using this beautiful program of recovery and using these prayers, like God saved me from being angry, I can, I, stuff is going to happen during my day because I am a human being and I can't control how other people react. But because of this program, the pain will happen, but I do not need to suffer because I have a way out of suffering. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Okay, Ren, you're up, followed by Hudson Lavender. I thought I heard a wren, something like that. Okay, well, I guess my ears are really off this morning. Hudson L., you can go, and then we'll have Beth W. I know I heard her. Hi. Uh, yeah, this is Hudson L. apologize for the full name. It's been a, a while. Okay. Uh, That's I've okay. Um, definitely more sick man's prayer. Um, yeah, the opening chair just, just on the money. I, I think... I think so many times um, how I have been able to forgive those who helped me uh, when I was a child. And partially, and a great part of that is because of the tools, being able to apply the tools of the, of the program. Um, and then realizing how, you know, they didn't have those tools and they, they went about life um, putting their harms on others without knowing that there was um, a way out of their own pain and suffering, so that they could um, they could parent more effectively with an open heart. And then I remember also myself as a as a younger person who started parenting very very young in life. And working diligently not to apply the same uh, hurts to my kids, and guess what? I, I aired. Uh, this was well before program, and um, they were like number one on my amends list for noting that. Although all the with all the desire not to do it that way, I did it that way until I was able to 
look at the have the program, take inventory, take accountability, and that's the the word uh, for the harms that I did unknowingly. Um, the other day, I I remembered a quote from Maya Angelou that really just warms my heart and pulls me through the days sometimes. And it's just as simple as when you know better, you do better. And um, again, one of the, the best ways to that, finding out how to do better, is through the tools of this program. Um, how, how when we don't know better and how when we don't do better, uh, the, the tool becomes the food. So anyway, uh, just to soothe and salve. All, all the pain, and uh, that's what our parents, my parents, parents did regularly. Uh, but I forgive them, and that that piece of forgiveness uh, has really just changed my life to be able to let go of what I wanted them to be like when I was a kiddo, and realizing now as an adult, they did do the best they could uh, without without knowing any better. So anyway. Uh, with that, I've had some wonderful, wonderful uh, reading today. Thank you. Thank you, Hudson. Uh, Beth W., you're up, followed by Sharon F., and then we'll take another list. Hi. Thanks for calling on me. This is Beth W., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from North Dakota. Um, you know, I love this prayer um, because it was completely the opposite of however, any way that I had ever thought. And um, I shared, um, I don't know, last week or whenever that the first time I did a fourth step, I, I did it without direction. I, I knew better. I, I was, as the A12 and 12 says, I was smarter than most. Um, and I will use that in air quotes. Um, and so I just did my fourth step kind of all by myself and then, then thought I was ready to present it to my sponsor the first time I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so, you know, years back and, um, and I skipped over this whole part. I did the first three steps and then I saw, oh, referring to our list again. And then I, I did my fourth, fourth step or my fourth column. And I, I had skipped all this whole part about praying for the other person and, um, surprise, surprise that, that didn't, wasn't that effective for me. And, um, so this whole idea of praying for that other person before I, I looked at my part, um, was foreign to me. And um, I had a fellow in the room tell me, you know, when you get better, your family gets healthier too. And I couldn't understand what they were talking about. And um, the truth is, it, it's really about me getting better and seeing the people around me in a different, in a different way. And that's through this prayer um, that, I, that I get better. And my eyes, you know, it says somewhere in our book, the scales, I think it's in Bill's story, the scales of his eyes fell, fell away. And, um, <clears throat> and, you know, so, so as I continue to have to do this kind of every day, um, because there's, there's people around me all the time that disturb me, and then I need to pray and say, show me the tolerance, patience, and pity, pity tolerance, pity, and patience that I would cheerfully grant a sick friend, um, because I know how to do that. You know, someone who's visibly ill. I know how to care for that person. And so I need to use those same um, skills with people who I just encounter throughout the day. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks for being on the line with me today. 
Thank you, Beth. Okay, Sharon F., you're up. Um, this is Sharon F. in Ecuador, and this is such a great, life-changing prayer for me, and this reading couldn't be more timely. Yesterday, um, I received an email from uh, my sister, or estranged, and I had sent her a, about six months ago. I sent her my amends letter to her and and never heard anything back, and I just had to let that go and know that she would respond in God's time, and and that's that. Well, yesterday she responded, and it wasn't what I wanted to hear, and I was able to pause. I was able to think about, you know, what what's the next right thing for me to do here because I, I felt a little disturbed, and I was able to number one not discuss it with my husband because character assassination is is a great skill of mine in the past, and I was able to say the sick man's prayer for her, and. I, I did eventually um, use the guidance of the of the tenth step, and you know I, I was I'm from a family of nine people who seven were always right, including me, and we were always right, believing completely different things. And today, I choose to be happy rather than right, and with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Sharon. Okay, if you just joined us in the last few minutes, we're at the bottom of page 66, spilling over to 67, reading that one paragraph. Um, Who else would like to share if you haven't shared in the last few days? Julie R. Julie R. Pete B. Laura M. Leah M. Leah M. Reva P. Lisa. Reva P. Okay, that's good. Um, Elise M. Okay. Okay, let's stop there. Um, let's see. Julie R. Pete, Pete B. Kelly S. I think I heard Roz G. Laura M. Leah M. I thought I heard a Teresa. Is there a Teresa? Okay, maybe not. So then Reva P, I thought I heard, and Elise M. Teresa may have been Elise M coming in with a mumbled group. Okay, let's go first with Julie R, followed by Pete B. Julie, um, press star one, please. Ah, There I am. Hi, I'm Julie R, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Yes, this uh, sick man's prayer helped me so much. You know, the first, you know, 20 years in OA, I never read it. But it was when I really started to do the work. And, you know, I had, um, well, lack of a better word, a horrific childhood, um, a lot of sickness, um, all that kind of stuff. And I had hate in for my father just deep within. And even when I moved away, and didn't have much contact with him. I just hated him. It just was all consuming. I was the one who was, you know, hurt. 
I was the one who was carrying this around. It was affecting my life. And it was when I really started to do this work. And some of you might remember about four years ago, I went and took care of my father as he was dying. This work relieved me of the hate that I had for 40 years that was all-encompassing. And it was lifted um, and it, you know, I liked it because it, this, this paragraph doesn't say that I'm going to forgive, but I can understand. I don't condone, condone what happened, but I can understand what happened based on his childhood, but it was a result of this sick man's prayer and the deep work I did in my inventory that a few hours before my father died, I told him that he could go in peace that I no longer held it against him. That was not me, that was God, it was God directed. And it was the sick man's prayer. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. I lived that prayer. And I see my sister who's still today, and she's 71, is consumed with the hate still. My dad's been dead for four years. It's a miracle. Yeah, the weight's down. Yeah, that's awesome. Of course it's awesome. But not living with hate in my heart, not condemning people all the time, not being so hateful, this prayer is something that I say all the time. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Okay, Pete B., you're up, followed by Kelly S. Thank you, moderator. PB, compulsive overeater, recovered today by God's grace and mercy. I'm in Pennsylvania. Thanks for taking the meeting. You're doing a really great job. And uh, what I like about this is that, you know, in, in, earlier we read about those, those aspects of self, those instincts that I have um, that, that get threatened that cause me to feel resentful. And with, and, and with, the, with this, what we're particularly reading sheds light on the fact that, yes, I have those instincts, but you know what? So does every single other individual. We all as human beings have those same instincts. Now, people go about, about protecting those instincts and protecting themselves in different ways, and those instincts are in different priorities for different people, right? So what, I, what, 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 this, what this sheds light on for me is that you know what, like I felt certain ways, I felt threatened in a certain way, and I felt a certain way. Well, other people have those same instincts. The other people that harmed me, they were acting in their best interest because they were themselves trying to protect those instincts and keep those instincts from being threatened and being settled, right? It's like, so I, I, you know, I could jump into the sick man's prayer, and, and I often do, um, but it, it, it's first after a period of contemplation and analysis and thinking to myself, well, this person must be trying to meet some need that they have, just like I was trying to meet some need that I had, right? It gives me, it gives me a, level under, a level of understanding of how other people, just like me, were out trying to protect their best interests. They just, they just went about, or sometimes they just go about doing it like I did, in a way that was detrimental and harmful to others, 
right? So I'm always, I always want to try to, before, before saying that prayer, right, finding fault, because really what I'm doing, right, is I'm saying, well, this person harmed me, you know, they must be sick and, and just be done with it, but just have some kind of awareness of, 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 what, uh, of what they're actually trying to do and their behaviors are they're trying to protect themselves just like I was always trying to protect myself. My manner of doing so was just contrary and conflicting with the others about me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Pete. Okay, Kelly S., you're up, followed by Roz G. Hey, Katie, thanks for your service. It's Kelly S., uh, Recovered Compulsive Eater Bulimic in Oklahoma. Um, well, pretty much everybody said the same same thing, which again reminds me I'm not terminally unique in my in my resentments. Um, I just really wanted to share on this because I uh, I had similar resentments uh, what's already been shared with my family of origin, you know, growing up in an abusive alcoholic home and having those resentments from my dad that I thought no way ever, ever would I be able to to let that one go. I just I just couldn't imagine the healing could ever take place in that because even though I knew that people said I couldn't blame him for who I was and what I was doing today, there was still that part of me that did. And, you know, in the paragraph before, people, that this dominated me. It was my excuse for everything, and I just I couldn't get past it. And when I, I did the work for the very first time, you know, four and a half years ago, um, and started to have, uh, like has already been shared, compassion for this man that raised me, um, and to see him as spiritually sick, and to see what he was going through, and you know, I heard, um, you said this before, you know, it's like for me even, you know, like Pete just shared, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I couldn't see what I couldn't see and I couldn't change it. You know, I couldn't change what I didn't know needed changing. The same thing for my dad, right? He was blocked too. And to get to this forgiveness place and to pray for him and, and to realize that he's spiritually sick, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I've always told people, first of all, the fact that I have neutrality with food four and a half years after being in this room for decades was, is a miracle. But you all, we know that's just the beginning. So to have this peace with my dad, who I see all the time, he's, I think he'll be 80 in February. And um, I'm very involved in my parents' lives. Our family's very close. And I, I like, I, it's like, I'm, it's weird to me. I'm like, was I, was I really pissed at this man? I just see him as a loving individual, which he is, and that he was a sick person. And for that to happen, I'm like, if God can give me neutrality and peace with my resentment with my uh, father, uh, I, I know all things are possible as long as I continue to do this work. And I also just want to say I'm really grateful that we're reading this paragraph because I haven't read it in a while. I say it a lot. I just kind of say this stuff. But I forgot about the cheerfully part because this stuff, uh, I use this prayer for when these things crop up, so cheerfully. And I, and I know it sounds crazy, but I also forgot about that God saved me from being angry. You know, and that's the thing. I can't make myself neutral with food. I can make a food plan and weigh and measure and all those things. I can do this work, but where does the real peace come? It's going to come from my higher power. So I need to remember that. So I was really glad to hear that sentence again. God saved me from being angry. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Kelly. Okay, Roz G, you're up, followed by Laura M. Good morning, Katie. Thank you very much for calling on me. And my name is Roz G, and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater in Palmdale, California. And uh, I'd like to share a like a long-term example and a short-term example of how this has changed me. I, I hear a, a a wise big book teacher um, say 
that when we ask God to help us, we're praying for us, we're praying for God to cut, to cut out the cancer, the cancer of, of resentment and anger and bitterness out of our souls and replace it with a change of a new attitude. And um, I, too, was angry at my father for years, angry at him. I punished him. I wouldn't speak to him because when I was 19 years old, my my parents got divorced. My father left. He uh, married another woman. One day he moved out of state. We live in California, and I called my dad. And I'm, I just happened to call him just to say hello, which I l- really didn't like to do, but I don't know why I did on that day. But he was in the middle of moving to Indiana. He w- did not say goodbye. He didn't say anything. Just, oh, we're, we're, we're in the middle of moving. And I felt, I cannot tell you how I felt, so terrible. And I held that against my dad for years. And um, as I progressed through working the steps and changing my attitude, I realized that my dad is a recovering alcoholic. He was not, he wasn't in AA at that time. He's one of the definitions of selfishness, you know, and he's not like that today. He attends AA meetings. And today we, I found, I asked God, you know, what can I do? How can I have a relationship with my father? And he's an avid gardener. And so he He's taught me how to garden, and now we share gardening together, you know, over the phone, or we, you know, exchange pictures, or we have live, you know, face-to-face, the FaceTimes, and we share our gardening experiences, and it's so beautiful. And the short-term one is, I've been waiting like almost two months to get my hair cut from this real, this this very, you know, good, really established hair stylist here in town, and. Yesterday, I went to get my hair cut, and she forgot <laughs> to put me on her book. We made an appointment, but for some reason, she overlooked and put somebody else there. And my, I was, you know, I was disturbed. But thank God for this work and that I pray and meditate every day because it gives me a pause. So I just said, you know, we're all human, and we make mistakes, and it's okay because it looked like she felt so bad. So I went to one of those you know, just non-appointment only places and I got my hair cut. And, you know, I got this lovely lady. She was very kind. She did a wonderful job and it was half the price. So I got some product and it was, it turned out to be okay. So this, you know, with long-term resentment, thank you. It helps. And with short-term, it helps. Thank you. And I pass. Okay. Thank you, Roz. And Laura M., you're up, followed by Leah M., Good morning. This is Laura M. in Southwest Missouri, trudging this happy road with all of you one day at a time. This morning, there was just one word that really caught my attention, and that word is perhaps. Um, And what perhaps reminds me is that I'm not God. I'm not in everybody else's head Uh, There was a time that I thought I knew everybody's motives, and it was all about me. Um, You know, every resentment, every fear, every action that anyone else did that upset me, it was something they were doing to me purposely. They knew how that was hurting me, and they were doing it on purpose. And this has taught me that I don't know. 
perhaps. I can put perhaps in so many situations today to remind me that I don't know what's in somebody else's head. I don't know what's in somebody else's heart. I don't know if if they're an addict or they're living in their own version of hell and I just happen to pass by. I don't know. So this reminds me that the only thing I know is what's in my head. And half the time I don't even know that. But with the help of my higher power and the process that this especially step four helps me do is to understand what's in my head, what's in my heart, and to take action on that alone and learn to let everything else be and belong to somebody else and especially belong to higher to that person's higher power because I don't even know who that person's higher power is. So perhaps they're sick. Does it matter? No, it doesn't really matter. I still need to do what I need to do because this process is about getting me unblocked and getting me right with my higher power and free of the obsessions that that blockage brings. I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Thank you all, Team Thursday, for your service, and I pass. Thank you, Laura. Okay, Leah M., you're up, followed by Reva P. Thank you very much. I love what we're reading today. You know, we are so blessed to have this process this uh, art of living undisturbed. You know, it puts the responsibility on me, certainly, to press into these steps. Uh, you know, the question that I always have to ask myself, you know, is how free do I want to be? You know, am I willing to press in and release my, you know, my my thinking for uh, for elevated thinking and direction? Um, you know, I used to... I like to joke that I didn't necessarily have a happy childhood, but it was certainly a very long one, meaning that, you know, I was taking the feelings and resentments and pain of 19, you know, 69 and still living there, you know, in 1982. So it's hard to be free in the 80s when you're living in the 60s and 70s. And, uh, you know, I was just, I was locked there, you know. Victimhood gets its power from resentments. And it was pain, and it was insecurity, and it was sadness. Um, and I could not be free because I was stuck. The tentacles of, those, of that pain and that sadness and that resentment were rooted in my very soul, the marrow of my bones, and I could not be open I was blocked. I couldn't really, I, you know, those wounds were affecting all my relationships, um, particularly those, you know, that were authority figures, etc. So, you know, the pain would just be so intense and the resentment that, of course, I had to dig my fists into cellophane bags and bakery boxes to get some relief. But you know what? Then the steps came in, right? The steps came in. And these principles and these steps and the action that I had to take began to reorient me and kept me from drowning in the self-absorption and the pain. And it focused my attention on something else. Um, certainly that perhaps people, you know, were, were maybe spiritually sick, but also, you know, that there was going to be a refuge, a safe harbor uh, in God and 
that feelings were irrelevant. God either is or he isn't. You know, what's my choice to be? Am I willing to align myself? And that's kind of the process, and this energy began to take over. It wasn't an overnight sensation, but there was a predictability about it, and that negative energy reduced and was eventually removed. And my father died 30 days ago, by the way, and, you know, for decades I've been able to love him, to accept him, to appreciate him. And it's because I had a responsibility to take those actions because those actions that we take are demonstrations of my willingness, my participation in the recovery process under the umbrella of grace um, and, you know, and the willingness and the desire to be turned. And I'm so grateful for the process. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Okay, Reva P., you're up, followed by Elise Ann, and then we should have time for two more. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. Um, You know, my first step for I couldn't wait to make that list of all the people who wronged me, and I really thought my sponsor was going to side with me and say, yeah, those people are idiots too. I hate them too. I didn't really understand this process. Um, But what I've come to learn is that this is the beginning, you know, four through nine, where I start turning my thinking around 180 degrees. And because of this process, nobody in the world and no circumstance in the world um, has to be a certain way for my experience of life to change for me to be peaceful. This teaches me that I can be okay even when people don't follow my script. I can be okay when people do the wrong thing. Even when I'm right and other people are wrong, I don't have to sit there in resentment because that's like the philosophy when I was angry, I would binge at people. And who was I hurting? I was hurting myself. And as I go through this process and go deeper, I think what this also shows me is I want and wanted, always want people to fill my extinctual instinct needs that we just read. My instincts are threatened. And what I learn in the process is I'm not supposed to get my needs met from finite people. I'm supposed to be on this journey towards step 11 where I access a higher power by removing the blocks so that my needs are met from the true source, not the flimsy read, from the true source, which is a power greater than myself. And then it doesn't matter what other people do. It doesn't matter if life doesn't go my way. I can be okay. And this sounds so simple and it's the hardest thing to follow the process and constantly be reminded I'm knocking on door number one and God wants me to knock on door number two. It's like I'm right here. Come over here. Stop looking for security and um, peace in finite people. And that I think is about matching calamity with serenity. So to me, this is the good news that nobody else and nothing else has to change and I can be at ease and at peace, um, and I get it from that power instead of from the food. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, um, Reva P. Okay, now we have Elise N. Good, good morning. 
Um, <clears throat> I I guess you know I have to say that you know I've been in this program probably thirty years plus, and I used to have a tough relationship with mom, and mom and I are a lot alike. Imagine that, um, and. I wouldn't say she was abusive or wicked or anything like that, um, but she has like obsessive compulsive disorder. She keeps repeating the same things over and over again, and sometimes they're not pleasant things. And her mother was extremely, God bless her, she died now, but she was extremely critical, and my mom tends to be critical, says what's on her mind, no filter, and I used to be so hurt. Whatever she said, I was geared up to fight. I was always ready to fight because whatever she said, it was true. And I, you know, and and that would hurt me. And I, I, through the working of the steps, I really, and one friend said to me, you know, you may never have a good relationship with your mother. You know what? We have a great relationship. And I mean beyond good. She even said to me, "You're, you're much more calm than your sister. Are you kidding me? Um, it's because I am, I'm not a, I don't, I don't react, I'm not a reactor anymore. Um, and she's a wonderful person. She does say things that are kind of, you know, that are unfiltered. But that's just the way she's made. I kind of in the same way. Sometimes people tell me, can you imagine? Uh, so it's, it's a wonderful relationship to her. Um, and with the sick man's prayer, I do have one looming resentment. I do have this one resentment looming. And it's it's not somebody that I have to see every day, or but I, I know that I need to work it out. Um, and I have somebody I'm going to call who's very good at working 10-step. I'm going to call and work it out, work it through. And then if I need to use this prayer, I've... Uh, I don't think I've ever used it so effectively. Um, and do whatever I have to do to get rid of it because it's it's there, it's lurking, even though it's not eating me alive, it's lurking. And um, I want to be rid of it. So thank you for um, waking me up to that. I appreciate it. All right, have a good day. Bye. Thank you, Elise. And we have five minutes left, so we can have two, two and a half minute shares. Who would like to share? I- I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not hearing anybody clearly. Irene, Margaret D, and Irene. Okay, I have Margaret D and Irene. You can tell us your initial Irene when you come up. Okay, Margaret D, please go ahead. Star one to unmute, Margaret. May I be heard? Yes. Um, my name is Margaret Dean, and I'm so grateful to be a recovered compulsive eater um, by God's grace. Um, so the discussion or, you know, what I've heard around parents and children and relationships and, you know, sick people reminds me, it always reminds me of um, what my first sponsor told me when I would go to him and I would just complain so bitterly about 
my mother and what she didn't do and she didn't do this and the things that she did do, I, definitely I was just, I was bitter. I, I was so bitter, and I was not going to give up one-tenth of an inch of the ground that I thought I had gained over her by even trying to be forgiving or, I mean, I, everything in my head was just so skewed. And so he told me about his mother who had actually just given him away when he was about 11 years old to a house of ill repute for a fifth of whiskey. This was back in the 20s, the late 20s, early 30s, because she was an alcoholic. And he said to me, you know, Margaret, my mother was not playing with a full deck. He said out of 52, she only probably had about 30. And then he said, but you know what? She gave me every one of those 30 that she had. And it just, the the truth, the compassion, the ability for the first time in my life to stand on really firm footing about all the circumstances that had happened with my mother and, and just everything, it all just fell away. And I was able to see that so many things with that simple illustration that nobody's perfect. And for me to judge somebody for their imperfections is absolutely, it's so ridiculous because I just, anyways, I just wanted to share that story. And um, where it went from there was I was able to look with a more loving heart at some of the things that my mother had grown up with, like the depression. She had a younger sister that was murdered. Um, they had just all kinds Time, of please. insanity. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Okay, Irene, it's your turn, and we have two minutes left, please. Irene, star one. Oh, goodness, sorry. Hi, good morning. Thank you for your service. I'm Irene B., a very gratefully recovering bulimic from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I just want to say one thing very quickly. Today's my birthday, and I just wanted to put that out there because I do. <laughs> so I'm embarrassed, but I wanted to say that, and I just want to say one quick thing. I heard a share yesterday that meant a lot to me, and something that I didn't realize that I did is that I have selfish demands for people to make me happy. I had never seen it that way, but my emotional security is so dependent on external validation, uh, and, and um, basically means that I put selfish demands for people to meet my emotional security, to make me feel emotionally secure, to validate me. And that's very selfish and that's very wrong and very dependent. I I really don't need people to validate me because at the end of the day, it is God who is the source of everything for me. And if I could just focus on my God, then I would be okay. I'm a very sick puppy, but God can heal me with that. I pass. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Irene. And thank you to everyone who shared. Um, And let me put my glasses back on. Okay, and so please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. And the share ID for today, November 7th, 2019, on the 7 a.m. meeting is 13,631. That's 13631.
We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Kelly S. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hey, guys. Kelly S. again. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your house, your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.